Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Runes of Empire. While we are proud to report that our audience appears to grow week by week, we have noticed very few comments on podcasting sites like iTunes or Stitcher. Now, my huge writerly ego is above such trivial concerns, but I have reason to suspect that producer Sean is feeling a little bit unloved. I notice him sometimes writing morose poetry when we are recording, and his working copy of the book has several more tear stains on it than it did when I first gave it to him. So if you could, go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. It helps increase the visibility of this little project, and it might just give producer Sean that little boost he needs to get through another recording session, and will make sure your enjoyment of the story is not ruined by the sound of him softly crying in the background. And as always, thank you for listening. Listening to Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, Book Two of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author. Chapter 29. On September 19, 2107, the Brazilian Wars ended with the surrender of Brasilia. The once proud capital of Brazil was now surrounded by miles of refugee camps where a starving, demoralized population threw down their arms and agreed to submit to corporate rule. Inside the city, the presidential palace had long since been deserted. Diana Adriana was never seen again. The date of her death is unknown, as is her final resting place. Perhaps not since Genghis Khan has such a singular figure in world history disappeared without a clue as to their fate. From The Fall The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff The shuttle parked outside the Scytherian gates became a convenient rally point for the remains of the Casario forces. As the soldiers streamed in, it appeared that all life had been drained from them. They trudged forward, as if each step required all of their remaining strength. When they arrived at the shuttle, many just collapsed. Others stood and stared into the middle distance. They had all given everything they had in that raid, and it was clear to Vago that there was nothing left. Althea moved among them, doing what she could for the injured, sewing up gaping wounds, applying antibiotics and painkillers, but no matter how fast she worked, she couldn't keep up with the influx of human misery making its way to the shuttle. Those that still stood on their feet milled around like animated corpses. Vago knew that this was his fault. He'd given them hope for the first time in, well, probably ever. Hope was a strong drug, and its crash made Triple T look like the end of a sugar rush. Walking among the growing group of warriors, he thanked them in their native language, tried to tell them the fight was not over, to be strong, and to ready themselves for the next battle. A few looked up at him and smiled, but most just glared. Their expressions said all that was needed. We trusted you. You betrayed us. You led us to die. His eyes scanned the crowd for Daphne's hard-lined face and gentle eyes, but she was nowhere to be seen. After that disaster, who could blame her? A disturbance in the crowd, which parted, revealed Alexandra, marching toward him, fist raised, his face flushed red with rage. Vago didn't raise a hand to defend himself. He just closed his eyes and braced himself for what he knew was coming. The crack across his jaw hurt, but not nearly as much as Alexandra probably meant it to. Looking at his fragile frame, Vago wondered if he should have staggered back or fallen to the ground just to make the man feel better. As it was, he just stared into Alexandra's eyes that were red with rage, hatred, and betrayal. 
Alexandra spat at Vago's feet. They knew we were coming. People died for nothing. I didn't know, said Vago plainly. Alexandra raised his fist, as if to hit him again, and then he stopped. Vago watched all the energy drain from his body at once, and he looked at him with his sunken eyes. What now, Vago? Vago swallowed hard. There was only one thing to do. He couldn't lead this army against the Cytherians. At least a quarter were dead, and another quarter were wounded. The rest would never follow him again. With Isra and Kronos still in the city, there was really only one question left. How much longer could he fight? How many times could he personally put his own life at risk? He looked back at Althea. How many times could he put her life at risk? He opened his mouth to mutter some useless platitude, but stopped when he noticed a lone figure approaching from the direction of the city gates. Vago left Alexandra hanging and pushed through the crowd, keeping a grip on one of his guns as he watched the occulto draw nearer. Vago gritted his teeth, drew his gun, and marched forward across the hard, cracked rock. His own rage reached a breaking point. He had not betrayed these men. He had been betrayed, and the person responsible, or their lackey, was dumb enough to return. Vago raised his gun and yelled in Cytherian. The Arenha knew about our plan all along. She knew we were coming. She knew where we intended to attack and how. The occulto brushed off her hood, and Vago nearly choked as his rage changed to shock and fear. He stood with his mouth open for several seconds before he even had the presence of mind to lower his weapon. Of course she knew, you idiot, said Isra flatly. Althea came running from somewhere within the crowd. Oh, Jesus, Isra, what happened? She reached for the bandage that covered her eye. What did they... Isra brushed her hand away. It is nothing. Althea reached for the bandage again. You need to let me see it. There might be... Isra brushed her hand away again. There is nothing you can do about it now. As she walked into the crowd of soldiers, they parted in front of her. They looked at the bandage that covered half her face, and they knew the horrors she had witnessed. In a way, Vago sensed a certain reverence from these people for it. It was a show of unity and camaraderie that only those who had peered into the darkest depths of human cruelty, and had lived to tell about it, could know or understand. They look like hell, said Isra. Vago looked around at the Casario, watching them. Well, they saw it pretty close up. I was hoping that you would not have failed so spectacularly, she said, examining exhausted remains of the raider forces. That will make taking the city now more difficult. Taking the... Vago started. Isra, there's no getting into the city with this army. Never mind taking it. They've got patrols everywhere, and they knew. Kronos is still there, Isra said without a trace of irony. Do you intend to leave him? They reached a spot near the shuttle, and Vago turned to look at the remains of the Casario army again. Well, no, to be honest, I figured getting Kronos would be pretty easy, all things considered. It was you I was worried about. But now that you got out... What about the Arenha? she interrupted. Do you intend to leave her in power? Let her continue to kill, maim, or enslave whoever she sees fit? Vago ran his hand down the length of his queue. Well, yeah, actually. I figured that's what you'd want. Whatever he was about to say died in his mouth as Isra looked at him with her one remaining eye. It somehow still had the same ability to cut through him as it did when there were two of them. Maybe even more so. Althea spoke up. We thought that it was time to abandon the mission and get away from this horrid place while we still have the means and ability to do so. We are abandoning the mission, Althea, Isra replied. But we are not leaving. What exactly were you wanting to do? Vega watched as the crowd of raiders assembled into an audience, standing in a half-circle. All focused on Isra. 
You want to lead another charge against the Scytherian lines? Even if we got all these folk to attack at once, we might break through one division. But more would come. We can't get inside the city. And even if we could, Althea added, looking desperately at a group of wounded laying on the ground by the shuttle. What would be the point of that? The Scytherians would overrun them in a matter of minutes. Isra stepped forward and touched her on the shoulder. Tend to the wounded, Althea, and please trust me. Althea made a motion like she wanted to look at Isra's eye under the bandage again, but stopped. If you're sure, it is fine. Isra's voice was as dense as iron. Tend to them. She nodded at the group of injured. Vega watched her give Isra one more pleading look, and then she went to do what she could for the wounded. What exactly is your plan, then? asked Vega, watching her go. We will enter through the Via Maximiliano, said Isra. The main street into the city? Isra, whoever designed that road had one thing in mind. Kill a lot of soldiers before they get anywhere close to the Salah. They can stand up on those walls and... What exactly? she snapped. Have you ever seen a Scytherian soldier use a gun like the Casario, or bow and arrow, or any projectile weapon? Anything besides the slings they use to simulate Casario attacks? Vago remembered Gabriel at the Modesto Wall. He touched one of his guns remembering what he had told him. Nah, they don't believe in them. Takes away from the honor of battle. Exactly, said Isra. It is one more facade, one more show of strength with nothing behind it. One more story that Isabel tells people to keep them behaving as she wants. Isra took a deep breath and addressed the crowd in Cytherian. I am sorry. We are all sorry. We came to this planet with a mission. To meet other human civilizations scattered throughout the solar system and to nurture and protect those civilizations from any force that would seek to harm. I failed. I was so blinded by my own ambition that I refused to see the suffering going on all around me. And I was so distracted by the game of politics that I could not come to the aid of those who were already fighting. But they still came to my aid. I know that you have thrown everything you have into the fight and that you have not much left. I am here now to ask you to follow me into one more battle. The crowd erupted into roars of anger and a smattering of Scytherian profanity. The energy was muted, but Vago sensed that, if they all hadn't just exhausted their strength in a bloody battle, they might have charged Isra at this point. She stood listening to the shouts and calls. She scanned the crowd with one eye like freezing steel, until the people gradually quieted. Scytheria City is based on a story about fear, Isra continued. Fear that if anyone dares to cross Arena Isabel, Forces from beyond the wall will rise and crush the city, leaving nothing but ruins. Fear that agents within their own city are actively trying to undermine and destroy it. Fear of the very people standing in front of me today. There was a motion in the crowd and Alexandra made his way to the front, looking at Isra as if he was attempting to stare her down. What do you propose? he asked finally. Arenha Isabel's ancestor, Maximiliano, led a Casario army into the city once. The story is so well known, and the attack so legendary, that they named the street he used after him. It is the secret that all Scytherian rulers have held since that day. The easiest way to attack the city is on the Via Maximiliano. So we will. The crowd erupted again, and Vago felt the urge to stand in front of Isra, as a few rocks and other projectiles sailed through the air and clanged off the hull of the shuttle. But Isra stood silently, waiting for another opportunity to speak. The angry roar subsided enough for Alexandra to shout over the top of it. Nobody attacks the Via Maximiliano. It is suicide. 
It is the most direct route into the Cytherian Salah, argued Isra over the crowd, and it is completely unguarded. I know because I have traversed it on my way here. There is nobody. Alexandra spoke up again. You lie, just as others have lied to us. You work with the Arain Ha to destroy us forever. Alexandra continued to speak, but his voice was lost in a growing outrage. Isra raised her hand to try to quiet the crowd, but it didn't drop by a decibel. A few of the soldiers in the back started to limp away, but most seemed content to stay and scream at Isra as long as they could physically stand. It was as if they were letting go of their anger in one magnificent tantrum. You tried, said Vago, inching away from the angry mob that was pressing uncomfortably close. Maybe it's time to give up. Isra didn't look away from the shouting crowd. Give me one of your guns. Excuse me? Vega was pretty sure he had heard her correctly, but the implications were too dire to think about. Isra held out her hand and spoke more forcefully. Give me a gun. There was no arguing with her like this. He pulled a gun from his left shoulder holster and handed it to her. She took it without a word, held it straight up in the air, and pulled the trigger. The shot echoed across the sweltering plains, and the increasingly unruly crowd fell silent. Isra let her hand, holding the semi-automatic pistol, drop to her side. She stayed perfectly still, closed her remaining eye, tilted her head back, and took long, slow breaths as if trying to center herself and shut out the noise and distractions from the world around her. While she did, the Casario watched her every movement, as if trying to decide whether to flee or not. There was something unnatural in her remaining, normally blue-gray eye, something intense and wild that seemed colder than a Martian winter. When she spoke, it sounded low and from far away. I understand. We have asked so much of you already, and it was wrong for me to ask any more from your people, especially after all you have already endured. Isra started walking. The crowd, out of instinct, parted to let her pass. Alexandra watched her go for a moment before he shouted, Where are you going? Isra stopped. From where the shuttle sat, one could just make out the stone arch that formed the front of the Via Maximiliano. She looked at it as if she might cut it down with her glare alone. I am going to the Sala Grande. I'm going to walk in, hold the Arenha as a hostage, and use her as leverage to force the Cytherian army into capitulation. With that, Isra started walking. Vago hurried to catch up with her before she was too far away. Interesting tactic there. Isra nodded but didn't say anything. Vago decided to press the issue. So, are you going to fill me in on your plan? You heard my plan, said Isra. That was it. You're just going to march up to the Sala Grand and hold the Arenha at gunpoint? Is that plan too confusing for you? I could simplify it. Vago looked at the arch and, beyond that, the silhouette of the Maxwell Mons. Just never figured you for the suicide mission type. Isra stopped and looked at him. What makes you think this is a suicide mission? Vago shrugged. Charging to a fortified and heavily armed city alone? That's basically the definition. I am not alone. Isra, I will follow you to the far corners of the solar system, but I stopped just shy of certain death. Look behind you, said Isra, marching forward. For the first time, Vago glanced over his shoulder. The crowd of Casario, full of trepidation at first was slowly falling into line behind them. You knew they would follow you. Isra nodded. They want a leader. They didn't seem gung-ho earlier. It is basic survival instincts for a soldier. If the general is not willing to take the first step onto the battlefield, then one does not go to war. 
Isra led the way across the scorching plains up to the gates of Cytheria City and the Via Maximiliano. She stopped at the stone arch where the cracked, hard-baked rock changed into the cobblestone streets of Cytheria. Vago stopped beside her. Having second thoughts? Isra shook her head. If I am wrong, there is no escape. This is where we will die. Vago pulled his other gun and pulled the slide back with a click. Better not be wrong, then. I am not. She turned to the group of Corsario that had followed her to this spot. Vago noted with some satisfaction that nearly everyone who was still physically able and even a few wounded limped to their position. Isra addressed her army. Once we start on this road, we make for the Salah no matter what. Keep your eyes up, and if there is danger, we charge. If we die here, then at least we died trying to make a final stand. Isra turned back to the Via Maximiliano, took another deep breath. Cover me. Vago unholstered his gun and scanned the tops of the walls and the road ahead. Isra, are you sure? It is all a story, Vago. All of it, said Isra, taking the first steps onto the road. Vago watched the Via Maximiliano through the sight of his gun while Isra's boots clicked against the cobbles, echoing off the walls. There were no showers of arrows, bullets, or rocks. No alarm would be sounded. Not a single body moved along the top of the wall. When he could finally let out the breath of air he had been holding, he stepped onto the cobbles to follow Isra. Soon, the rest of the Casario followed, holding their lanzafogos toward the tops of the walls. Every small sound or hint of movement caused them to start, but that was it. They really would take the Arenjas Salah without a fight. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, the second book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Predator by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. City of Geeks, independent new media produced in Idaho.